Welcome to another inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will empower and inspire you. All right, if you have a Bible this evening, we're going to go to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua. Anybody love Jesus out there tonight? Are you excited? How's life in the balcony, people? You guys all pumping up there? Love you, love you, love you all. It's going to be a great night tonight. Week four of Pathway. Can't wait to meet everybody at Pathway this evening and to hear about all the amazing things God's been doing in your life as you've been part of this Pathway experience. The book of Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1 is our text for this evening. If you found it, say yes. yes. Ben Carroll has a brand new Bible. He's uh, enjoying that this evening. Nothing like a brand new Bible. It's always a good experience. Yep, fantastic. All right, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. The Lord, uh, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates or the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot. I will give you every place where you set your foot. Um, when I was 14 years old, you might not know this about me, but I was, I was actually a skateboarder. Have we got any skateboarders out there tonight? Yeah. There's literally about five people who are like, oh, oh, this is getting interesting right now. The rest of you don't care at all. But anyway, when I was 14 years old, I was an avid skateboarder. In fact, there are many things about me that you still don't know. Okay, practically nothing because every week I'm looking for another story. But when I was, when I was 14 years old, I was, I was a hardcore skateboarder. In fact, piece of trivia for you tonight. I bought Vans, you know the shoes Vans? I bought vans on the, from the first shipment of vans ever to be imported into the nation of New Zealand. I saw the box when the first box of vans arrived in New Zealand and bought a pair from Cheapskates on Kyber Pass in Auckland. That's how hardcore I was. I was doing kip flips before many of you were born. I was a hardcore skateboarder. And I, where I lived in Mount Albert, up the street from our house, there was a flat filled with surfers. And the surfers wanted to learn how to skate. And I wanted to learn how to surf. And so we struck up a deal, quid pro quo. I'll teach you how to skate and you can teach me how to surf. So I devoted hours to these guys. I mean, they had a car, so they'd take me to the skateboard bowl, they'd take me to the half pipe, and we'd get there and, you know, I'd be like trying to teach them how to, how to skate. You just need to know straight up for those of you who care, but, you know, surfers are terrible skateboarders. 
they try to get on the side of a, of a bowl and they're like doing fishtails. Like it's like, no, 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 that's, that's ugly, that's terrible. But anyway, they would be trying to do their very, very best to surf on the side of the bowl and I'd be busy trying to get them to not surf and to skateboard instead. And so, you know, I, I devoted hours to this. I mean, I devoted my heart and soul to it. I love instructing people. I need, I need a pulpit. Otherwise I get home and I start trying to teach Jillian things and the children things and they get sick of me. And so this was an amazing experience for me. And then finally the day came where it was my turn. It was time to go to the beach. And so we load up the car, we got the surfboards, we put them on the roof and we headed out to Piha. Now, when we got to Piha, South Piha was packed full of surfers. And so they said, we're gonna go over to North Piha, which is like a whole lot longer and, you know, kind of, I don't know, crazy. And we got to the edge of the water and there's these big swells. If you've never seen the West Coast of Auckland, it's pretty dangerous. I mean, it's, you know, it's massive surf, big, big waves. They come in in huge gusts. I went on later in life to become a lifeguard at Bethel's Beach. Another fun fact for you this evening. And yes, I did wear Speedos and, and yeah. It's gonna keep going right now. And, and you know, when I was a lifeguard at Bethel's Beach, somebody died every year that I was a lifeguard there. And not because I was a lifeguard, <laughs> because the surf out there is absolutely treacherous. And here we are, we're on the, the, the beach. I'm 14 years old, I'm on the beach of North Piha. I'm with these guys who are like 18, 19 years old. And you know, I've got my wetsuit, I've got my, 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 my rope, you know, what do they call it? A leash, I got the leash, I got the surfboard. We're about to go into the water and I'm thinking, here comes my instruction, here comes my payback, here comes my personal tutelage, I have my own mentors. And we're approaching the water and I said, okay guys, what do I do next? And they said, well, you paddle out the back and you'll figure it out. And then they just dived into the water and they were gone. Like they're heading out there and I'm on the shore. I'm like, wait, wait, what? What do you mean? And they're like, just paddle out the back and you'll figure it out. And then they're like diving under waves and then they're paddling off. So I started to have a go. I thought this is my moment. So I got into the water and I started to paddling. Have you ever heard the phrase, two steps forward, one step back? Well, you try, you know, paddling out on a surfboard into the west coast of Auckland, it was like one step forward and four steps back because every wave that came would blow me all the way back to the beach. About literally 35 minutes later, I finally made it to what I think is out the back. I'm not quite sure what is even out the back. I have no idea, you know, what is out the back. So I'm, I'm out where the waves are big. That's all I can tell you. And I thought, well, I, I better turn around because I'd seen people turn around, you know, and they'd paddle in the direction that the waves were going to go. So I, I paddled around. There was a wave behind me. I started to paddle. The waves started to lift. I kept paddling. Next thing you know, I'm kind of facing down. I'm still paddling. Then the board starts turning. <laughs> now I'm not sure what to do. Next thing you know, I'm in the air and I'm falling down to, I don't know what I'm, I'm just falling, I'm falling. I land on the water, the board and the wave land on top of me. I'm under the water. I don't know which way is up. I don't know which way is down. 
I come up, I'm back at the beach again, and I'm like, what? This is stupid sport. This is absolutely ridiculous instruction. From that day to this, I have hated the sport of surfing. They should call it paddling. That's what they should call it. Surely the lion's share of what you do with your time is what the sport should be called. You get a moment on the wave, you get hours paddling. The sport should be called paddling. I hate that sport. And you know, the thing about these surfers was that they were, they were high on mandate. They were just really light on details. It was like paddle out the back, you'll figure it out. Just get on out there and have a go. High on mandate, low on details. Anybody got a friend like that? It's kind of like when they, when, how do I do this? They're like, no, 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 you'll be all right. She'll be right, mate. Kiwi way, right? High on mandate, low on details. And when it comes to us as New Zealanders, I think we've got a little bit of preparation for what it's like to get instruction from God. Because I don't know about you, have you found about God that God can be kind of high on mandate and really low on details? That God can ask you to do stuff and you're like, well, how God? And He's like, well, just paddle out the back and you'll figure it out. You know what I'm talking about? Like in Matthew, where God said in, in 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's like, well, how God? And He's like, just do it. I'm high on mandate. I'm low on details. When it comes to God, I find that often the lack of details is quite disturbing. It's like, well, how God, how am I gonna do this, you know? It's worse, thinking about trying to outwork the mandate of God is worse than staring at the swells of piha. And many of us feel like that when it comes to doing something for God. We're aware that God has given us a great mandate. If you've been following Jesus for any period of time, then what tends to happen for a follower of Jesus is awaken within you. Comes the sense that my life is not an accident, that I'm not here just to go through motions. God's got a purpose for my life, a reason why I'm here. God intends for us to do something with the life that He has entrusted to us. He's given us gifts. He's given us talents. He's given us time and resources. And the God of the universe expects us to do something with that which He has entrusted to us. Man, we're in the middle of a series entitled The New Normal. And if there's one thing I know about God is that God has a promised land for each and every one of us. There is a big world waiting for us. We have more ahead than we will ever know. And I believe that God has given to us a great mandate. In fact, for us here at Arise, I believe God's opening up a whole new horizon for us. We're an amazing moment in our church's journey. Just opened our seventh campus. We're opening this weekend, the Arise Centre. Yeah, come on, can we give God some praise for how far we've come? You know, the number seven in the Bible is the number of new beginnings. And I believe that God is literally taking our church into a new season. We've been declaring it's a new day, there's a new normal. I believe God's got a promised land for every person. I believe God wants you to make your home in His promises. God doesn't want you and I just to wander around. He wants us to achieve something great for Him and for His purpose. If you believe it, give me a little amen. 
We have a clear mandate here to rise to build a church that will reach a new generation for Jesus. We're here to champion the cause of Christ in our nation. We're here to grow a new generation of leaders and ministers for the Kingdom of God. And no matter who you are, I reckon everybody in this room feels a sense, I have a purpose. I'm here with a calling. We have the sense in our lives that we can do something that will make a difference in this world. Not only do we have that sense, but we have God's instruction. Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, build the church, change the world. I want you to know that no matter who you are, that instruction has been given to every single one of us. And like me, standing on the beach of Piha, I think many of us are asking ourselves the question, well, how? How am I gonna change the world? How am I gonna do something great for God? And if we're not careful, we tend to think about God, that He's like a bad surf instructor, high on mandate and giving no details. Here we've got Israel and they're on one side of the Jordan River, on the wilderness side. And we've been talking about this over the last three instalments of this series. And if you haven't been here, make sure you get some recordings and kind of do some catch up. But basically we've been saying about our lives that every single person has a wilderness, that every single person has a promise that God has given to them. Between us and the promise of God, there lies a Jordan River, that God doesn't want you and I to wear well-worn tracks in a wilderness environment. He doesn't want you wearing well-worn ruts in your couch. He wants you to get up off your tush he wants you to cross the Jordan. God wants you to make a difference with the life that He has entrusted to you. I believe that God doesn't want us to make a home in the wilderness. He wants us to make a home in His promises. That every promise God gave us in the Bible is for you and I to see that that's the destiny God has for me. That's what lies ahead for me in the days that are to come. And God says to you and I, He says, cross the Jordan, step over into my plan and purpose. I want you to make a difference in the world in which you live. And I guess the great question for us is, well, how? How? God said to Joshua, Moses is dead. So obviously we know the problem is not our past sin. That's not gonna stop us moving forward. God wants you to know that Moses is dead. Your past is gone. Your sin is forgiven. It's a new day. And if you believe it, shout Amen. amen. And then He said, now then. Then He said, cross the Jordan. And we talked about that this morning. And then the next phrase the next stanza of Joshua's commission, God said to him, I will give you every place where you sit your foot. And we're going, how? How are we gonna do this? And we tend to think that this is God kind of saying, paddle out the back and figure it out. Not realising, my friends, that the person speaking in our text tonight is the God of the universe who several days before He created the sun and the moon, He said, let there be light. And at the very Word of God, the universe obeyed the command of the Lord before there were elements to support His command. And God literally said to Joshua, I will give you every place that you set your foot. He's just telling us plain, telling us simple, communicating it for us to hear. God is saying, I, God, will give. That word give means to add, to bestow, to give to. I will give to you, that's you and me, friends. Every place, that just means every place. It's deep. That you, again, that's you and me. Set your foot. In other words, wherever you place your foot, 
God can give it to you. God's saying, I'll give it. I will bestow it. I will add it. I will credit it. I will deposit it to you. But He's saying, if you want it to be yours, then you've got to be willing to take the step. And friends, what I want you to know tonight, this message is so simple, but it'll change your life if it really connects deep, is that wherever we are willing to go is wherever God can give. And how far we are willing to go is how far God is able to give. God is literally saying, God is literally saying, I will give you every place where you set your foot. In other words, God is literally saying, every promise is for you. Every, every, everything I've ever said I've got for you is gonna happen, but it's not gonna happen if you just sit where you are. It's not gonna happen if you stay in the wilderness. You're gonna have to be willing to get those feet of yours and do some walking. You're gonna have to be willing to get out of that comfort zone. There's gonna have to be some forward movement. God's literally saying to Joshua, saying to Israel, hey, listen, I reckon He's saying to a thousand plus people in this auditorium tonight, He's saying, get ready, because if you want God's will to be a reality in your life, then you must be willing to take a step, to take a step, to take a step. I'm telling you, this is so simple. People are like, John, I'm not even sure this is worth coming to church for. No, no, no. By the time I finish this message tonight, you're gonna understand that the most powerful thing you can do in your life is just simply that. Just simply that. Just simply to take a step. God said, I will give you every place where you want. Set your foot. In other words, if you don't set your foot there, God can't give it to you. There is more God's wanting to drop into your life than what you have yet. There are, there are things God wants you to accomplish, doors God wants you to open. There's favour God wants you to walk in. Has anybody ever read the Bible and seen that it's alive with promises, alive with opportunities, that God never kind of speaks over our life like it's supposed to be just boring and dull and plain? I don't know about you, but I reckon that the God of all creation of light and power and majesty wants you to live a life that is full with vivid cover, colour and open doors and opportunities and good things around every corner. Do you believe that tonight? Well, God's literally saying, I want you to have a great life, but the mandate is yours. I will give you every place where you set your foot. So if this is true, my friends, then you and I better get busy taking a step. I want you to whack about 17 people around you and tell them, take a step, 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 take a step. Come on, count it as you do it so you can get all the way to 17. Say, take a step, 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 take a step. See, my friends, God is an amazing future for you. Doors are going to open. But if doors are gonna open for us, we must be willing to take a step. Psalm chapter 20, 37, verse 23. The steps of a good man or a good woman are ordered by the Lord. And He, that's God, delights in His way. The, say it, the, the, the. It doesn't say the intentions, the dreams, the desires, or even the prayers. It says the, the, the. Whack someone say, take a step, take a step. That's what he's saying. Now, he says the steps 
of a good man or a good woman, it's generic, the steps of a good person are ordered. Now we've got another verse, the word ordered means to be literally established or confirmed. God is literally saying that if you take a step, God will establish it. If you take a step, God will confirm it. We're living here hoping that God's gonna open up doors for us. We're living here waiting for the right moment, waiting for the right season. And God's literally saying, stop waiting, quit that. He's saying, man, if you'll take a step, I'll confirm it. If you'll take a step, then I will order it. If you'll take a step, then I will establish it. Not only that, but the Bible goes on and it says, and God delights. God delights. God's looking down at you and I. He's not looking to see whether we take a step and we miss it, take a step and we fail. So many Christians are like hoping God's gonna zap them and tell them to do something. No, He's waiting for you and I to just begin to get movement, get do something. And then He looks down from heaven and sees people who are taking some steps and He's like, yes! I found some people in Wellington that are actually gonna get busy. I found some people that are gonna move forward for God. I found some people that are gonna actually take a step and He delights in your ways. When we moved to Wellington, you know, 14, 15 years ago and we began Arise Church, I knew, I knew two people that lived in the greater Wellington area. They now live two blocks over from me. We moved to Wellington, Jillian and I and five other people and, and we were ready to start this church. We didn't know anybody that was there. So we literally, we literally just put an advert in a newspaper this is back in the days when you actually read newspapers. We put an ad in the newspaper and I, I wandered around Newtown because the church was in Newtown and I put little photocopied flyers that I made personally. I was, I was the maker of the flyer and I put them in people's letterboxes all over the suburb of Newtown and Kilburnie and then we opened our doors and we began a church. It was pretty ordinary. It was very basic. There wasn't anything that was kind of like amazing about it. There certainly wasn't a beautiful PA system. There was no lights. There was nothing amazing. Our carpet, was, our stage was about this high and had red carpet on it. Literally, I'm not joking, one of the singers in our second service jumped up and down and fell through that stage. But it, it wasn't really a big deal because the difference between the stage and the floor was only literally yay high. It was like much ado about nothing. You know what I mean? A lot of noise, but not a lot of damage. And, and that was how we started. I mean, it was, it was just ordinary. It wasn't amazing. And now, you know, we've just opened our seventh campus, just built a beautiful multi-million dollar building, 1,200 seats and beautiful foyer. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. And I want you to know it's the same ragtag bunch of people who got this thing started, are the same people that God's using, but along the way, it's just been about, well, I'm an ordinary person, but let's take a step. Let's just try, let's open the doors of a service and see if people will come. Let's just go onto a, a, a university and hand out some flyers and see if anybody will turn up. Let's just try writing a song and see if anybody will sing it. Let's just start an internship school and see if we can raise up some people. Now over 500 people will have graduated from the internship school. I'm telling you, my friend, God's got more potential in your life than you know. There's amazing things around the corner. Nobody is without an eternal plan and purpose in this building tonight. And God's literally just saying to you, take a step. Just take a step. It's that simple. This whole message is three words. Take a step. See, when God spoke this to Israel, they've been waiting for 40 years. 40 years, Johnny. 
40 years. Ah, man, have you ever met what I like to call a waiting room Christian? I mean, man, you, 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 you know, I love being a Christian and you meet a lot of normal people, a lot of great people. Many of them are my friends, but there are just a smattering of crazy in this thing called Christianity. And some of my favorite crazies are the waiting room Christians, you know? They come up to you in church foyers or they, they tend to congregate in prayer meetings. I love prayer meetings. I'm a prayer meeting junkie. But, you know, they kind of hang out in these places where they like turn up and they've got books, you know? And in their books, they've got like prophecies that people have given them and words that God's put in their heart. And they're like, got their list. And it's like, you know, I've got a dream, you know? And, like, and you're like, okay, well, you know, I hope you don't live near me. And, you know, you're, you're thinking... You're thinking to yourself, this person's just a little bit strange. And there's a reason why. You get weird when you just wait too long. But so many Christians suffer from this. It's a waiting room theology. We're just waiting. It's like a John Mayer song. We're just waiting. Waiting on the world to change. I hate that song. I'm not waiting on the world to change. I'm changing the world. I'm not sitting on my tushy looking at a problem. I'm getting ready to be the answer. You can sit around all you want, Mayor, but we've got a group of people in this auditorium tonight who are believing they can make a difference with the life that God has given to them. Come on, man. Quit waiting. Start stepping. But you meet these waiting room Christians 40 years. 40 years, God's got a promise for me, you know. I know it's got a destiny. You know. God told me, I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to be ministry. You know. I'm going to be a songwriter. It's like, no, 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 you're not. No, no. But we develop, we develop this waiting room theology as Christians. It's so prevalent. People are saying, you know, one day God's going to do something great. One day God's going to do something great. It's the greatest danger of our Christian faith is that phrase, one day. Coming is the day. I'm here to tell you that the waiting room theology is an Old Testament thought and it's not the will of God. There's no such thing as waiting. There is no waiting room. In fact, oh, can I break this down for you? When Jesus conquered death and hell and He went down into the depths of the grave, the Bible tells us that He took captivity captive, liberated them. And the reason why is that before the death and resurrection of Jesus, even those who were destined for heaven couldn't go there. The blood of the Lamb, Jesus, had yet to be shed. So they were held in Sheol, in the grave, not in suffering and torment, but waiting, waiting, waiting for the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that when the perfect sacrifice was slain, that Jesus descended down and He opened up that waiting room door and He said, I am taking you up to where you were always meant to belong. And that captivity rose. Some of the dead walked the streets of Jerusalem, but then they made their way to heaven. And now they're right there. There is no waiting room for God's people. There is no waiting for God's favour. People are saying, man, I'm waiting for the right moment. I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting for the doors to open. We'll check out this verse of Scripture. It'll come up on your screen in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. It says, for He says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, someone shout it, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Let's do it again. I tell you, what now. is the time of God's favour? Shout it. Now. Is the day of salvation. 
In other words, friends, quit waiting. God's saying to Israel, stop camping on the edge of the Jordan. For you and me, stop waiting for the moment that you can step into that destiny, outwork that dream, believe for that promise. Get ready for God to do something great. God says, stop waiting and start stepping. We're waiting for God, but I want you to know, my friends, God's waiting for you. We're men and we're like, well, I wish God would answer my prayers. God's saying, no, 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 I'm waiting for you to take a step. I'm waiting for you to take a step. I will give you every place where you set your foot, but you have to be willing to take a step. And in every life in this building tonight, I believe that God's got something great for every single one of us. But He's saying to you and me, it's time to take a step. See, we live in the season of what's known theologically as the eternal now. The eternal now. The Bible's saying now is the time of God's favour. When Jesus was on this planet, He was having a conversation with His disciples and He's trying to get them to wrap their head around this because you're still waiting. You're still waiting. And in John 4, 35, they said, do you not say there are four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, even now the, the fields are ripe for harvest. And then in verse 36 of John, He said, even now, even now, even now, the reaper draws his wages, even now. He harvests the crop for eternal life. Even now, even now. You're like four more months waiting. He said, no, 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 not waiting now. In the future, God said, no, now. See friends, we're waiting for the right moment. We're waiting for the right season. We're waiting for the right hour. And God says, no, waiting won't change your life but steps will change your life. It's time to stop waiting and start stepping. Stop acting, start speaking, start talking, start believing, change your habit, get out of bed earlier, talk to the person, believe for the business, start to share the portfolios, even now, even now. See friends, I believe that what God's wanting for you and I is He's just wanting us to take a step. He's wanting us to take a step. See, the Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. It's all about taking that step. Jesus one day saw a man who had a shriveled hand and it ended into a debate with the Pharisees about whether he was allowed to heal the man on the Sabbath or not. And he had the man with the shriveled hand stand up. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 10, he said, stretch out your hand. The man stretched out his hand. At the moment he stretched his hand out, the hand was healed. He said, stretch out your hand and God will heal it. Open your mouth and God will fill it. Sow your seed and God will multiply it. Declare the healing and God will perform it. God is looking for you and me to take a step. He said, when we take a step, that's when the miracles start taking place. See, what's amazing about this season when Israel was called to cross the Jordan is that the rivers, the River Jordan for most of the year was an easy Transit, you could walk across it. But in the months of the harvest, the river was in flood. It would burst its banks. And at this particular moment when they were called to cross the Jordan River was the moment in Joshua 3 that the Jordan had burst its banks and a river that was normally easy to cross over was difficult and life-threatening. Now, my son, Will, loves the bush. I mean, he loves it. We get out there into the wild, you know. 
we get these little dock huts and we go out there and we camp and stuff like that, which for me is just absolutely the most scary thing in the world because I know nothing about anything in life other than doing this. That's all I know. I'm just a one talent nerd trying to make it for Jesus. And, and we get out there and the first time I took Will out into the wild, it was just awesome. We got out the back of, of Wainui Amata and there is, there is this river and we had to cross it. It's called the Narongaronga River and we crossed it and it was just easy. It was like we just walked across it. The water was around. It was enough that it was cool and exciting for a little, you know, 10 year old guy, but it wasn't dangerous for his dad. We went out there the next time and, and yeah, I'm telling the truth right now. I went back the second time and it was easy as well. And it was like, oh, this is a man trip. This is absolutely awesome. Well, the third time we went out there, we're getting close to the river and there is a party of about five people who are walking back the other way. And we're like, hey, hey guys. And they're like, hey, we're going back because the river is too, you know, high. And we get out there and this is literally like the 23rd of December and we have a Christmas Eve service on the 24th and, and I'm, <laughs> I'm out there. It's a funny story now. And, and this river that I've seen many times before is now like, like it's, it's like, you know, but last time it was like, yes, let's have a picnic. And you know, now it's just like, like absolutely crazy. And here we got the Jordan River and normally it's a river that's not intimidating and not scary and anybody can step over it. And now it's a river that's in flood and inspires fear. And have you ever noticed that whenever you wanna do something great for God, that's the moment when it looks scary? Yeah. Have you ever found that when you wanna do something amazing? I, I remember when God asked me for the first time to give away $1,000, I was 19 years old and I was in a prayer meeting and we're praying for a financial need for this person. And I felt like God said to me, don't just pray for the need to be answered, be the answer for the need. And I knew I had the money, but it was literally all the money that I had. And, and for the next two weeks, I just argued constantly with God. Have you ever argued with God when God's telling you, like, I'm binding the devil, you know what I mean? I'm like, this can't be the voice of God, you know? I mean, it's subjective at the end of the day. It's subjective, you know what I mean? It could be God, it could be pizza. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm binding the devil, but I'm feeling this thing and I'm like, I'm confused and I'm like fearful. I wish I could tell you it was like an awesome thing, but I remember giving the money away and I walked up to a desk and, and she's like, I said, how much money do you need to, to, for those needs? And she told me the amount and to the $10, it was what I had in my back pocket. Well, it wasn't like I went, wow, hallelujah. You know, like I, I, I kind of like, put it down on a desk and I said, here you go. And then like in, in like, a, in like still a, a fearful stupor, I just walked out of her office because the reason why is, is every time you try to do something for God, have you ever noticed that it always seems like the rivers are in flood? Have you ever noticed that it's always the week before the offering that your car breaks down? You know what I'm talking about? Or it's always when you want to share your faith with somebody that, you know, that interruption comes or when you're just about to pray for somebody to get healed. That's the moment when the random person walks in the door. There's always something that intimidates you at the moment that you're wanting to respond to God or step out in faith or share your faith or pray for the sick. The rivers are always in flood. Do you know why? Because there's a spiritual law at work. God said, I will give you every place that you set your foot. 
I will give you every place that you set your foot. Now, if you follow Jesus in this auditorium tonight, you're part of the kingdom of light. And God's saying, I will give to you the kingdom of light every place that you set your foot. But if God said that, He's literally saying, I'm gonna take it from somebody else and I'm gonna give it to you. So if it doesn't belong to the kingdom of light, then who does it belong to? I'll tell you who it belongs to. It belongs to the kingdom of darkness. And God's literally saying it, I will take it from the kingdom of darkness and I will give it to the kingdom of light. Now this is going somewhere, but so stay with me because my friends, I want you to know that whatever belongs to you, your character begins to inhabit it. So we live in a world where God is saying, I will give you every place that you set your foot. But until God gives it to you, it doesn't belong to you and it doesn't belong to the kingdom of God. Why? Because when Adam and Eve sinned, they gave this world over. So we understand that we are part of the kingdom of light. The Bible says about Jesus that in Him was life and that life was like the light of men. So we're part of the kingdom of life. We're part of the kingdom of light. And whenever you're in a place where God is moving, you're gonna feel a feeling of peace. You're gonna feel a feeling of love. You're gonna feel a feeling of light. Man, I'm special. I'm alive for a purpose. But whenever you think about somewhere where the devil is, think about the kingdom of darkness. Think about darkness. You think about fear. You think about intimidation. You think about being overwhelmed. Is this not true? So whenever you start to think about doing something great for God, it always looks like the rivers are in flood. You'll always be fearful. Whenever you want to do something for God, you'll always be intimidated. Why? Because it doesn't belong to God yet. It doesn't belong to the kingdom of light yet. But we are not here just to accept what the devil has stolen from God's kingdom. We are here. The reason why you and I are here, the reason why God puts up with this world and allows it to continue is because of people like you and me. And every time you and I take a step in spite of that fear, the Bible says in, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 6.10, that God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but He gave us a spirit of love and a spirit of power and a spirit of a sound mind. And when you and I begin to take steps, when we begin to take steps, then right then what has looked fearful and intimidating, suddenly we find it being gifted back to the Kingdom of God. And wherever you feel fear or wherever the river looks like it's in flood, God doesn't want you and I to be intimidated by the devil. He doesn't want us to hang around in the wilderness or to be overcome by this feeling of wanting to pull back. God's saying, no, I gave to you a spirit of power, a spirit of love and a spirit of a sound mind. And we're here to take back what the devil has stolen. So how do we do that? We just take a step. We just take a step. And God said, man, you go to the place of fear and you step there anyway. Like Peter, when Peter said to Jesus, he said, if you would bid me, I will come to you on the waters. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among the snakes, snakes and scorpions and crush them and nothing will hinder you. Do you see the premise? You can walk, you can step. If you'll take a step, then God will give it to you. If you take a step in spite of your fear, if you take a, spit, a step even when it looks intimidating, God is literally, this is such a powerful key that there is never a right time. The rivers will always be in flood. You will always feel afraid. There will never be an opportune time. But my friends, whenever you and I decide that we're just gonna take a step in spite of how we feel, 
then God is able to do something great in moments like that. So we've got Israel. As a band come and join me up on stage. We've got Israel and the Bible says that the waters are in flood, that the promises are on the other side. God has spoken. What will they do? Well, in Joshua chapter 3, verse 14, it says that when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, yet, as soon, that's just beautiful. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and, and, and this is just the preacher's dream, and their feet touched the water's edge. The water from upstream stopped flowing. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the edge of the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. See, why don't people do something for God with their lives? And the answer is because there are floods, there are fears, there are intimidating things that are in front of us. And God literally says that if you've got God in your life that carried the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders and they reached the edge of the Jordan, can you imagine these priests? Joshua's like, that's it guys, keep walking. And they're like, but, 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 but. And Joshua's like, yeah, yeah, keep going. God's got your back. Three million people are watching. Six guys or whatever, four guys are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they're all like, are you sure about this? Joshua's like, yeah, yeah, just keep going. And they take a step into the tempest, a step into the flooded waters. The Bible says that the waters had literally broken their banks. Have you ever seen a river so powerful and large? Yet as they took a step, the waters receded. As they took a step, another step, the waters receded. And a river that looked like it was in flood slowed down to a trickle and stopped. And the nation of Israel crossed from one side to the other. And friend, I want you to know that you're gonna live with fear every day of your life if you're gonna be a person who takes back the Kingdom of God from this world. But I believe that God wants you and I to steer fear in the face and to do it anyway. I believe once God wants you and I to break through into something new. He's saying, take a step, share Jesus in your high school, share Jesus in your university, step out and begin that business. Ask that person out on a date, step out into the full plan that God's got for you. Sow seed upon many waters. Don't be afraid, little flock, Jesus said to His disciples. He said, I am with you even to the ends of the age. And friend, I believe with all my heart, that God doesn't want you and I to be intimidated. He's just saying to us, would you take a step? Would you take a step? Would you take a step? Thanks for listening to this message from Pastor John Cameron. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church, check out arisechurch.com or find us on YouTube.